You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you very much, Anne, and welcome to All About Skills. This is a weekly series of programs about the skills that your children and grandchildren will need, skills that you need to get ahead in your career, and those that we all need to function effectively for our constitutional republic to survive. My name is Charlie Jett, and I'm coming to you from our studio high above the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in beautiful downtown Chicago. Now, in the last program, I talked about how important teaching these critical skills is to children, helping them learn and practice those skills in preparation for their futures. This week, I'm going to talk about something a little more difficult, and that is just how do you assess or measure the critical skills? This is episode number 15, and it's about what's known as authentic assessment. So let's get started. Authentic assessment is somewhat like singing for your supper. You sing poorly, you don't eat. You sing marginally well, you get pasta. You sing very well, you get steak. You sing superbly, you win a Grammy. Authentic assessment is a measurement through performance and or a demonstration of a relevant intellectual task. It doesn't involve making a choice among five potential answers, like in a multiple choice quiz. Rather, it involves actually showing and demonstrating what you know and using a measuring stick called a rubric to assign a grade. The definition I like best for authentic assessment was given by Mr. Grant Wiggins, a researcher and consultant on school reform issues. It was almost a generation ago, but here it is. Quote, assessment is authentic when we directly examine student performance on worthy intellectual tasks. Traditional assessment, by contrast, relies on indirect or proxy items, efficient, simplistic substitutes from which we think valid inferences can be made about the student's performance at those valued challenges. That definition still applies today. The trouble with authentic assessment, however, is that it is very hard to do. It involves manual labor. The individual doing the assessment must actually spend time watching the student demonstration and then must make a judgment regarding the level of performance against an accepted rubric. The principal arguments against authentic assessment are as follows. Authentic assessment takes too much time. More can be tested in less time with standardized multiple choice tests. Authentic assessment is less reliable, even with a set, set rubric. Authentic assessment is vulnerable to validity threats. And authentic assessment is expensive. These arguments weighed heavily in the demise of the performance-based assessment movement in the 1990s. Those arguments may still be made today, and present challenges to advocates of performance-based or authentic assessment. Advocates of authentic assessment point to the continuity between teaching to the authentic test and learning, 
as opposed to teaching to the standardized test and learning. Better learning takes place when teachers prepare students for authentic tests. Advocates also point out that authentic assessment can provide a more comprehensive evaluation of a student's learning as, to pull, as opposed to a multiple choice examination. Now the debate is still heating up because of the implementation of the Common Core standards and the upcoming assessment processes that will follow. Indeed, some states have opted out of the Common Core standards for a variety of reasons, one of which is the issue of assessment. On balance, I'm a supporter of authentic assessment because the authentic approach does give a more accurate assessment of what a student actually knows than does a multiple choice test. Further, any sort of assessment system that might be used to measure the performance of a school or teachers can always be gamed. That is to say, teachers can teach to the test or simply cheat. If teaching to the test is going to be done, then I believe that teaching to an authentic assessment test enables a student to learn more than teaching toward the standardized multiple choice test. Now where the debate will end up is anyone's guess, but whatever that might be, it is my hope that the process of teaching and learning will include the critical skills and not just the development of skills to be able to choose among choices one through five. Now an excellent way to visualize how authentic assessment may be conducted is to use a work-based learning example. During the school-to-work era in the 1990s, I created a software system that enabled work-based learning coordinators to create position descriptions, alternatively called work-based learning agreements, for participating students. The system would also create an authentic assessment document for that particular student performing the tasks and projects as described in the work-based learning agreement. Now let's try to visualize what a work-based learning agreement would look like. It's much like a position description. It has a title, like a field study research assistant. It would have a one paragraph or so description of the position content or concept. And it would have a list of specific tasks and assignments that are action-oriented for the student to do during the course of the agreement. And it would be signed by the student in advance to indicate that he or she agreed to perform these tasks and to learn the skills. And secondly, it would be signed by the supervisor to ensure that he or she understands the nature of the position and the fact that it was intended to teach those skills. Now, let me just read you the position concept of an actual field study, and that's for the field study research assistant. Here it is. The field study research assistant will serve as a member of the field study team to investigate the value college admissions directors place on school-to-work activities and contribute in all faces of the project. He or she will participate in the creation of the project, drafting and submitting the confirmation letter, creating the interview guide, determining the individuals to be interviewed, interviewing, analyzing the data, developing the findings, conclusions, and recommendation based on the data collected in the process. Then he or she will assist in the preparation of the final field study report and served as an active participant in presenting the report to the client and to other interested groups. Now, following the description of the position content, there would be a list of 
jobs and tasks that are action-oriented and written in such a way as to direct a student toward actually doing something instead of just describing some sort of learning goal. Now I'll give you a few of the specific tasks and assignments that are relevant to the field study research assistant and you'll get the idea of what I'm talking about. First, serve in a general capacity as a member of the field study research team as a field study research assistant and perform such duties as may be required in support of the team, team's effort. Now that's a general one to cover all things. Secondly, participate in setup meetings with the team, client, and classroom teacher to define and plan the project. Participate in the creation and submission of the project confirmation letter. Thirdly, Participate in the design of the interview guide to interview college admission officials to be used during all interviews. This interview guide will be focused on gaining those officials' views regarding the value of school-to-work activities in the college admissions process. Now, an essential feature of this and other work-based learning agreements is that each of the jobs and tasks or project items connects to one or more of the critical skills there must be some sort of connection between what the student is doing and what the student is supposed to be learning. Otherwise, why should the student be doing something that has no learning outcome? And secondly, if you're going to connect what the student is doing to the skills that he or she is supposed to be learning, you will have a basis to do authentic assessment against those skills. Now from the position description or work-based learning agreement, the authentic assessment document was generated. It was generated by the software and included the name of the student, the program the student was involved in, who the project was doing, what was for, and then it would include assessments of workplace essentials, and I will describe those in a minute, but then specifically list the job tasks that were evident in the work-based learning, and these were measured against a rubric. And the the rubric was five parts, actually six. Number five, exceeds all expectations, among the very best. Four, exceeds most expectations. Three, meets expectations. Two, does not meet expectations. One, unsatisfactory. And then NA for not applicable. The remainder of the authentic assessment document would show a list of exactly what the projects and tasks were doing and an assessment on the, on the, against the rubric of that particular student's performance against that particular task. Now there were eight workplace essentials and these could be changed depending on the school's valuing of them. But the eight used most, most commonly were attendance and punctuality, appearance, attitude, dependability, performance, aptitude, initiative, and interpersonal skills. Now personally, I don't see how a work-based learning agreement could be designed any better. You have a document that shows the concept of the job, generalities of what it's going to do, specific tasks or projects that the student is going to do, a definite demonstration of the connection between those tasks and projects and the specific critical skills to which those things relate, 
and finally an assessment against a approved rubric of how that student performed those specific tasks and the workplace essentials. Now you can do in the classroom, the academic classroom, exactly what you do in the work-based learning environment. That is to say, you treat the student as a learner. The student has a job as a learner. Visualize the academic classroom for a moment and focus on a specific student. That student is sitting in the classroom voluntarily with the expect expectation of doing classwork and homework, with the expectation of eventually receiving some sort of grade for the course at the end of the semester. Putting this another way, the student has a job in the classroom as a learner, and at the end of the work assignment, or the course, he or she will receive compensation in the form of a grade. Now that might seem to be a little radical, I'll admit, and it is perhaps offensive to some to consider students as having jobs as learners, particularly all the way down in elementary school, but that is the simple reality. Each student has agreed, voluntarily or not, to spend time in each classroom and has agreed to learn what is being taught and tested on his or her knowledge. Like it or not, that is a job. The student has a job as a learner. You heard it right. The student has a job as a learner. Now, if this is the case, then we can treat any student's classroom experience as we would treat a work-based learning situation. We assign a student a job as a learner in a specific class. We then create a learning agreement, which is, in reality, a job description for that particular class, consisting of specific projects and tasks that a student is expected to do, and on which he or she will be expected to actually demonstrate, and I'll underscore demonstrate, competency through actual performance. Now, these projects or tasks for a specific course may be created directly from academic content standards, whether common core standards or whatever other state or locally approved standards might have been created. Now, back in the 90s, in order to facilitate the creation of such learning agreement, I also created a simple software program called IS2000 or Instructional Strategies 2000. Seems like a long time ago. But this application worked essentially the same way as a work-based learning software system in that it contained a database of the students, a database of specific courses, and a database of specific tasks and assignments that were created directly from the academic content standards. The software then created the learning agreements, which were very similar to work-based learning agreements, and then the authentic assessment documents were created as well. Now this is but a simple example of a learning agreement that assumes that a student has a job as a learner in an academic classroom and will be expected to perform the tasks and projects as articulated in the agreement. He or she agrees to be assessed based on his, his or her performance in conducting those assignments. Now while I'm comfortable with referring to a student as having a job as a learner, I am very well aware that this might be a bit radical and perhaps even offensive to some, but it is reality. Such learning agreements are quite easy to create. They simply document in a clear and understandable format what is actually taking place in an academic classroom or should be taking place in that setting. 
That is, if we're serious about connecting what students are supposed to be learning with the agreed-upon academic standards or critical skills. Now, there have been many articles and even books written about assessment and authentic assessment. And but I, one that I found that I really, really like and would like to share with you is that that was prepared by Professor John Mueller from North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. I wanted to share with you his thoughts and knowledge about this subject. And you should visit his website where you can read about the same thing. And that website is J.F. Mueller, that's J-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot faculty dot N-O-C-T-R-L dot E-D-U slash toolbox. Again, that's J.F. Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot faculty dot N-O-C-T-R-L dot E-D-U slash toolbox. This is an excellent resource for most descriptions of all aspects of authentic assessment. Now, with Professor Mueller's permission, I'm going to give you exactly what he has written because I think it is excellent. I'll start out by giving some definitions. Mueller defines authentic assessment as a form of assessment in which students are asked to perform real-world tasks that demonstrate meaningful application of essential knowledge and skills. The definition by Grant Wiggins was engaging in worthy problems or questions of importance in which students must use knowledge to fashion performances effectively and creatively. These tasks are either replicas or analogous to the kinds of problems faced by adult citizens and consumers or professionals in the field. And Richard Stiggins defines this as performance assessments calling upon the examinee to de demonstrate specific skills and competencies, that is, to apply the skills and knowledge they have mastered. Then he starts in with, what does authentic assessment look like? Here it is. An authentic assessment usually includes a task for students to perform and a rubric by which their performance on the task will be evaluated. He talks about traditional assessment, or TA. And by that, he refers to the forced choice measures of multiple choice tests, fill in the blanks, true false, matching, and the like that have been and remain so common in education. Students typically select an answer or recall information to complete the assessment. These tests may be standardized or teacher created. They may be administered locally, statewide, or internationally. Behind traditional and authentic assessments is the belief that the primary mission of schools is to help develop productive citizens. That is the essence of most mission statements, so he says. And I agree. From this common beginning, the two perspectives on assessment diverge. Essentially, TA, or traditional assessment, is grounded in educational philosophy that adopts the following reasoning and practice. First, a school's mission is to develop productive citizens. Secondly, to be a productive citizen, an individual must possess a certain body of knowledge and skills. Third, therefore, students must teach this body of knowledge and skills. And fourth, to determine if it is successful, the school must then test students to see if they have acquired that knowledge and skills. 
In the traditional assessment or TA model, the curriculum drives the assessment. The body of knowledge is determined first. That knowledge becomes the curriculum that is delivered. Subsequently, the assessments are developed and administered to determine if the acquisition of the curriculum actually occurred. Then he turns to authentic assessment. In contrast to traditional assessment, authentic assessment, or AA, springs from the following reasoning and practice. First, a school's mission is to develop productive citizens. That's consistent with traditional. Second, to be a productive citizen, an individual must be capable of performing meaningful tasks in the real world. Third, therefore, schools must help students become proficient at performing the tasks that they will encounter when they graduate. And fourth, to determine if it is successful, the school must then ask students to perform meaningful tasks that replicate real-world challenges to see if the students are capable of doing so. Thus, as you can see, unlike traditional assessment, in authentic assessment, or AA, assessment drives the curriculum. That is to say, teachers first determine the tasks that students will perform to demonstrate their mastery. And then a curriculum is developed that will enable students to perform those tasks well, which would include the acquisition of essential knowledge and skills. This has sometimes been referred to as planning backwards. Then Professor Mueller gives a fun example. He says, if I were a golf instructor, and I taught the skills required to perform well, I would not assess my students' performance by giving them a multiple choice test. I would put them out on the golf course and ask them to perform. Although this may be obvious with athletic skills, it's also true for academic subjects. We can teach students how to do math, how to do history, and do science, not just know them. Then to assess what our students had learned, we can ask students to perform tasks that replicate the challenges faced by those using mathematics, doing history, or conducting scientific investigations. Then he talks about how authentic assessment complements traditional assessment. He says, but a teacher does not have to choose just between AA and TA. It is likely that some mix of the two will best meet your needs. He gives a, a silly example. If I had to choose a chauffeur between someone who passed the driving portion of the driver's license test but failed the written portion of the test, or someone who failed the driving portion of the test and passed the written portion, I would choose the driver who most directly demonstrated the ability to drive, that is, the one who passed the driving portion of the test. However, I would prefer a driver who passed both portions. I would feel more comfortable knowing that my chauffeur had good knowledge in his base about driving, which might be best assessed in a traditional manner, and was able to apply that knowledge in a real context, which is more demonstrated through an actual authentic assessment, that is to say, driving a car. He then describes the defining attributes of traditional and authentic assessment. He says another way that authentic assessment is commonly distinguished from traditional assessment is in terms of its defining attributes. Of course, traditional assessments as well as authentic assessments vary considerably in the forms they take. 
but typically along the continuums of attributes, which I'll show you in a moment, traditional assessments fall more toward the left end of the continuum, and authentic assessments fall more to the right end. For example, going first traditional and then authentic. Selecting a response as opposed to performing a task, that's authentic. Contrived, that's traditional. Real life, authentic. Recall or recognition, traditional. Construction or application, authentic. Teacher structured, traditional. Student structured, authentic. Indirect evidence, traditional. Direct evidence, authentic. Then he clarifies the attributes by elaborating on each of the, in the context of traditional and authentic assessments. First, selecting a response to performing a task. On traditional assessments, students are typically given several choices. For example, A, B, C, or D, true or false. Which of these match with those? And are asked to select the right answer. In contrast, Authentic assessments ask students to demonstrate understanding by performing a more complex task, usually representative of some, of some more meaningful application. Second, contrived to real life. It's not very often in life outside of school that we're asked to select from four alternatives to indicate our proficiency at something. Tests offer these contrived means of assessment to increase the number of times you can be asked to demonstrate proficiency in a short period of time. More commonly in life, as in authentic assessment, we're asked to demonstrate proficiency by actually doing something. Third, recall recognition of knowledge to construction or application of knowledge. Well-designed traditional assessments, that is to say tests and quizzes, can effectively determine whether or not students have acquired a body of knowledge. Thus, as we discussed before, tests can serve as a nice complement to authentic assessments in a teacher's assessment portfolio. Furthermore, we are often asked to recall or recognize facts and ideas in, and propositions in, in life, so that tests are somewhat authentic in that sense. However, the demonstration of recall and recognition on tests is typically much less revealing about what we really know and what we can do than when we are asked to construct a product or performance out of facts, ideas, and propositions. Authentic assessments often ask students to analyze, synthesize, and apply what they have learned in a substantive manner, and students create new meaning in the process as well. Fourth, teacher structured to student structured. When completing a traditional assessment, what a student can and will demonstrate has been carefully structured by the persons who developed the test. A student's attention will understandably be focused on and limited to what is on the test. In contrast, authentic assessments allow more student choice and in construction in determining what is presented as evidence of proficiency. Even when students cannot choose their own topics or formats, there are usually multiple acceptable routes toward constructing a product or performance. That's the way it is in real life. Obviously, assessments more carefully controlled by the teachers 
offer, offer advantages and disadvantages. Similarly, more student-structured tasks have strengths and weaknesses that must be considered when choosing and designing an assessment. Fifth, indirect evidence to direct evidence. Even if a multiple choice question asks a student to analyze or apply facts to a new situation rather than just recall the facts, and the student selects the correct answer, what do you now know about that student? Did the student get lucky and pick the right answer? What thinking led the student to pick that answer? We really don't know. At best, we can make some inferences about what that student might know and might be able to do with that knowledge. The evidence is very indirect, particularly for claims of meaningful application in complex real-world situations. Authentic assessments, on the other hand, offer more direct evidence of application and construction of knowledge. As in the golf example that Professor Mueller gave before, putting a golf student on the golf, golf course to play provides much more direct evidence of proficiency than giving the student a written exam. Can a student effectively critique the arguments someone else has presented? That's an important skill often required in the real world. Asking a student to write a critique should provide more direct evidence of that skill than asking the student a series of multiple choice analytical questions without a, about a passage. Although both assessments may be useful, they may be complementary. Then Professor Mueller turns toward teaching to the test. He says, and I agree, these two different approaches to assessment, TA versus AA, also offer different advice about teaching to the test. Under the TA, or traditional assessment model, teachers have been discouraged from teaching to the test. That is because a test usually assesses a sample of students' knowledge and understanding and assumes that student performance on the sample is representative of their knowledge of all the relevant material. If teachers focus primarily on the sample to be tested during instruction, then good performance on that sample does not necessarily reflect knowledge of all that material. So teachers hide the test, or at least they're supposed to do, so that the sample is not known beforehand and teachers are admonished not to teach to the test. With AA, or authentic assessment, teachers are encouraged to teach to the test. Students need to learn how to perform well on meaningful tasks. To aid students in that process, it's helpful to show them models of good and not so good performance. Furthermore, the student benefits from seeing the task rubric well ahead of time. And is this cheating? No, I don't think so. Will students just then be able to mimic the work of others without truly understanding what they are doing? Authentic assessments typically do not lend themselves to mimicry. There is not one corrector, correct way or correct answer on how to copy. So by knowing what good performance looks like and by knowing what specific character, characteristics make up good performance, students can better develop the skills and understanding necessarily to perform well on these tasks. Well, in summary, I suppose that you've come to the conclusion that authentic assessment is a complicated subject and we could go on for a long time talking about different ways to conduct such assessments. One way I could show you of how to do it is to go to the field studies blog and look at assessment there. Let me give you the 
um, website address. It is Field Studies Blog, one long word, fieldstudiesblog.com. And if you go there, you can go to various sections, and in particular the assessment area, and you can see different uh, performance uh, work based learning agreements, how the connections are made with. Uh, um, with the skills and competencies, and then you can see examples of authentic assessment documents. And that does it. That does it with authentic assessments. Um, now, authentic assessment is, of course, something that I think we must do. And I want to really, really thank Professor John Mueller for allowing me to share his thoughts and knowledge verbatim about this important subject. You should visit his website. And as I mentioned earlier, the website address is as follows. It's http colon forward slash forward slash jfmuller, that's j-f-m-u-e-l-l-e-r dot faculty dot n-o-c-t-r-l dot edu forward slash toolbox. There you'll see in great detail what I've just presented to you. And again, I thank Professor Mueller for allowing me to present and relate to share his thoughts and ideas with you. I think they're excellent and I agree with him 100%. Now in episode number 16 next week we're going to discuss one way these skills may be taught and that is work-based learning. So in the meantime give some more thought to these critical skills. Again they are communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, and continuous education. My name is Charlie Jett, and I thank you for joining me as we continue our journey that is all about skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills. Skills.